Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, happy uh, solstice. It is the shortest day of the year. And usually it's right around Christmas time. It, it's the day that back thousands of years ago, the, you know, in, in Northern Europe, some guy would climb up to the highest mountain and light a fire, a pine tree to reignite the sun, right? And then the next day, the days would start getting longer and the people around him would all go, whoa, he did it again. <laughs> thus we light trees. Anyway, happy, happy solstice. I hope you're having a good one. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, in addition to just basically, you know, if there's anything on your mind of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of do a little bit of a anything you want to talk about today. Um, but also, you know, I want to start out is the world throwing off the chains of neoliberalism. My, my rant today from Hartman Report in these uh, days of dark news from the rise of militarism to this new wave of COVID, there are green shoots. Neoliberalism is finally being replaced by social democracy around the world and here in the United States. And I'll get into that in a minute. I also want to ask the question, is Fox News now in the stochastic terrorism business threatening kill shots against Anthony Fauci on Fox News Air? Wow. And also, there's an article on Daily Kos I wanted to share with you. It's titled, You Will Get Omicron, or Omicron. You hear both pronunciations these days. I think the long O is the formal one, <laughs> the correct one, but the popular one is the short O. Anyway, there's some new science coming out, which I will share with you, indicating that Omicron is less likely to end up in your lungs, which is really good news for a lot of people. And it might mean that it's a little less deadly at least if you are vaccinated. The first Omicron death in the United States happened, a guy in his 50s in Texas who was unvaccinated and he died from it and it was Omicron. So we know it's deadly. But I wanted to start out with this uh, rant about neoliberalism. You know, are we throwing off these chains? Down in Chile, the guy who won the election, it was not by a small margin. It was, it was more than a 10 point margin. I mean, it was a blowout election overwhelmingly won the presidency is a social democrat. He is an advocate of the kind of government that you find in Norway, Sweden, basically Scandinavia, Denmark, Finland, and to a slightly lesser degree, but, but very much there, you know, France, Germany, Spain, Italy. 
and that we would like to have here in the United States. <laughs> I would add Costa Rica to that list, by the way. Costa Rica, a country that ha literally has no military and spends that money instead on giving everybody in the country free health care and a free college education. So Chile is moving in this direction, and Chile is consequential because Chile is where the neoliberal experiment started. Neoliberalism, in 1947, a bunch of economists got together in a hotel on a mountain, Mount Pelerin, in Switzerland, and created what they called the Mont Pelerin Society, or Pelerin Society. F.A. Hayek was there, Ludwig von Mises was there, and most famously, from an American perspective, Milton Friedman of the Chicago School of Economics was there. And they invented this word, neoliberalism, the new liberalism. Now, the European use of the word liberal meant free market, right? So this is the new, like, we're going to take ideas of free market, the government shouldn't interfere in markets, we're going to put them on steroids. And that's what they did. They basically came out and promised that under neoliberalism, Governments would stop protecting their own nation's economies and instead turn those over to free trade so employers could scour the world for cheap labor. That the welfare of the citizens of countries should not be taken care of by governments. It should be done by philanthropy through churches, wealthy individuals, and corporations. That unions gave working people inappropriate power over market forces that only their employers should wield so unions would be neutered under neoliberalism. The taxes, which punish the productive class, would be cut to the point where morbidly rich billionaires would pay less than 3% income taxes, which is where we're at now in America. 3% is what, is what uh, uh, Elon Musk and, and uh, uh, Jeff Bezos paid last year, and, or the year before last, in income taxes. Um, while rich, while, excuse me, while the working people who, quote, use most of the benefits of the nation's infrastructure, end quote, would, you know, therefore logically carry most of the tax load. Neoliberalism said that public benefits like primary and higher education, the electric power coming to your house, your water, your septic, your roads, airports, stadiums, even highways, should be sold off to the highest bidders and then operated along purely market principles using the magical profit motive. And even the military and intelligence services would end up as much as 50% in private hands. The more privatization, the better. Well, we're there. But they started this. The first experiment was in Chile. In 1973, on 9-11, September 11th, 1973, General Augusto Pinochet, whose senior soldiers had all been trained at the School of the Americas here in the United States, down in Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, Augusto Pinochet rolled his tanks and his soldiers up to the presidential palace where Salvador Allende, the socialist president, and about 30 of his close friends held the Chilean version of the White House. And after about two hours, maybe three hours, uh, Pinochet gave a national radio address and then put a gun to his head and ended his presidency. And thus began, from 1973 to 1990, 17 years of absolute terror in Chile. And what Pinochet did is he invited Milton Friedman down and they put into place neoliberalism. This was a coup that was, that was set up by Henry Kissinger out of the White House on behalf of Richard Nixon, the Central Intelligence Agency, IT&T, which owned all the telephone systems of Chile at the time, and 
three big American copper companies because Allende had just nationalized about half of, of Chile's copper and was using that money to give everybody in the country free health care and free college educations. And, and Nixon was like, we can't have this. So they went down and they flipped it. You know, they, they privatized the pensions. They privatized their Social Security. They sold off state-owned industries. They gutted the unions. They, they basically did the neoliberal agenda. And this was supposed to be the experiment to prove to the world how wonderful this is. Because, you know, next up is America. We're going to do this in 15 years with Ronald Reagan. It didn't work out so well. They killed tens of thousands of people. Uh, Pinochet was famously dr dropping dissidents out of helicopters over the ocean as a way of disposing of their bodies. So that while they were alive, he was dropping them. It's, it's why the, the Proud Boys like to wear these T-shirts that say free helicopter rides for liberals. I mean, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is a time that is to this day kind of celebrated by right-wingers in the United States. But what happened? Inflation went to 341%. You think 5% is bad? The GDP fell by 15% because of Friedman, Milton Friedman's free trade policies. Chile's trade deficit exploded. Unemployment went from 3% to 10%. In some parts of the country, it was as high as 22%. So did Friedman and, and his neoliberal buddies say, I guess this experiment failed? No, they doubled down. Then they came to the United States and did it with Ronald Reagan. Here in 1981, we are still, we are 40, 40 years, next year we will be 41 years into our neoliberal experiment. That's the bad news. The good news is that Joe Biden is the first president since Ronald Reagan took office to openly repudiate neoliberalism. To say, no, we're going to go back to the New Deal way of government. And of course, he's getting blowback from conservatives like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. And the entire Republican Party, of course. In, a, in Russia, Friedman's Chicago boys went in and, and just, you know, took all the state-owned enterprises and turned them over to, to people who were buddies with uh, Boris Yeltsin. And thus, the oligarchy emerged in Russia. I was working in Russia in 1991 uh, in Kaliningrad, or in a little town near Kaliningrad, uh, trying to revive peasant farming because the, 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 the giant, massive collective farms had failed and there was, like, hunger stalking the country. In Iraq, George W. Bush threw open the country, uh, you know, after he invaded, he shut down all the state-run enterprises, ended taxes on corporations, ended all the laws that protected the uh, Iraqi economy, threw it open, let any company, any foreign company come in, buy any Iraqi assets, including oil fields, and take all the, all the wealth out of the country and not pay a damn penny on it. it neoliberalism. Here, it took a little, you know, it moved a little slower. It took Reagan, like Reagan and Bush, 12 years to destroy our union movement. But like I said, you know, we've, we are at this point now where these two forces, progressivism and neoliberalism, are on a collision course in the United States. I noticed Amazon just now has up my, my book. It won't be out until September of next year. I just finished writing it. In fact, I'm submitting the manuscript to, to the editor on uh, uh, next week. Um, it's called The Hidden History of Neoliberalism. You know, how Reagan gutted America. And uh, so I've been living in, inside this topic for a while. It's pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. So do you think neoliberalism is dead and dying? I do. 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. We are having discussions right now that wouldn't have been imaginable just six years ago during President Obama's tenure. We'll be back. And welcome back. Andrea in uh, O'Fallon, Illinois. Hey, Andrea, what's up? Well, I thank you so much for taking my call. I'm a huge fan. Um, I love your program. I love you. your newsletter daily. I get that. So I did also donate as well because I want to support all progressive information-based Thank you, Andrea. But time is flying by. What's on your mind? I'm sorry. Let me go. Oh, here we go. Okay, so real quick. So I got four COVID shots, COVID vaccines. Listen to me. Hear me out real quick. I had breakout cases at my wedding on at the end of June. Mm-hmm. I had already been fully vaccinated. Now I knew seventy-five or more, seventy-five percent was at least vaccinated. We were following CDC guidelines. Right. People had breakout cases at my wedding. Father-in-law had one. He's Whoa. a two-time cancer survivor. However, he only had a cold for one to two days. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. After that happened, me, my maid of honor. And my husband went and got a third COVID shot in July. So you we got your first booster in July of this year. I we stole it. Yeah, I stole it. I had to go. To, I had to go steal it. <laughs> I get it. So, so then I said, no, this is just. Sean is giving you a fist bump time. here. She did. A, she did something like yeah. that. I don't want to out her too much. But. It's others. It's others that have done it as well. It's yeah. an article or two out of there. Sometimes. Um, Yahoo may put a story out, but it's very unnoticed. Anyway, I went and got my fourth shot two weeks ago because I have to continue to get shots because my my sister will not get one. My adult master degree sister will not get just one shot. So that's why I have to keep getting them. Wow. Well, you know, Israel is is uh, running a, 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 it's not countrywide, but running a large scale test right now on a fourth shot. As a, yeah. as, as a booster to the booster. And, uh, you know, so far, they're not seeing side effects. You know, nobody's reacting badly to the fourth shot. The question is, you know, does it give a whole lot more protection? And that's, that's what we're waiting on for the science can to I, be evaluated. Go ahead. Can I just tell you something real quick before you let me go? My aunt got five shots. She actually got her four shots in, like, April, maybe, like, over time. But I think the mm-hmm. fourth set, she got a set in her maiden name and a set in her married name. But then she went and got her booster. So yeah. she actually has five. I believe we I have no recommend. choice. I would be careful, Andrea. I, I, I mean, there I'm may be a point at which your body goes, whoa. <laughs> right. I'm not saying I'm not recommending, but yeah. she's older. She already has underlying health conditions. Yeah. She's an older black lady. So, yeah. you know, diabetes, heart, she's trying to take care of her health because her grandchildren will not get the shot. I get it. Her daughter won't get the shot. Oh, That's no. why she has to get five shots. I'm sorry I don't want to stay too long. I love you. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, Tom. Thank you, Andrea. Okay, uh, real quickly, is Fox News engaging in stochastic terrorism? This is just breathtaking. Jesse Waters, who thinks of himself as a bon vivant, and is no doubt vaccinated. Everybody on Fox News is vaccinated. Uh, if you're not vaccinated, you have to be tested every day, probably boosted as well. Uh, you see Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump, they're doing this uh, American revisionist history tour. And, uh, you know, Trump says, yeah, I'm vaccinated and I'm boosted. And O'Reilly says, yeah, me too. And a couple of people in the crowd go, boo. And, and Trump is like, oh, you can't boo me. You're supposed to love me. But anyhow, 
Jesse Waters said, and I quote, he's, he's talking about how an ordinary citizen could confront Anthony Fauci in public. And he says, and I quote, now you're going for the kill shot. The kill shot with an ambush is deadly because he doesn't see it coming. And then he says, boom, he's dead. He's dead. The kill shot? What, what does this? They asked Anthony Fauci about it on um, CNN's New Day. John Berman asked him. And he said, the, the only thing I've ever done throughout these two years is to encourage people to practice good public health practices, to get vaccinated, to be careful in public settings, to wear a mask. And for that, we got some guy out there saying that pe people should be giving me a kill shot to ambush me. I mean, what kind of craziness is there in our society these days? It's awful that he said that. And he's going to go very likely unaccountable. I mean, whatever network he is on is not going to do anything about him. I mean, that's crazy. The guy should be fired on the spot. Yeah, you think? You know, is it time for all of us to, to I don't know if you can reach out to Fox News, but uh, holy cow. Kill shot? It's like, really? So stochastic terrorism is where somebody sits in the back and pretends to be neutral. I'm not advocating terrorism and makes jokes or makes comments or says things that will activate lone wolf killers. It's terrorism by remote control. And it sure looks to me like that's exactly what Jesse Waters and Fox News are engaged in right now. And I think we need to be calling it out. And so I am. And I encourage you to as well. You can read all about it at MediaMatters.org. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. Picking up your phone calls, Chris in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Chris, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Hey, Tom, a longtime caller, first time listener. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Happy holidays, hey, Chris. A little too much eggnog Thank last you. night. <laughs> you too, sir. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to talk about Joe Manchin's, uh, what I think is a, his bogus position on the child credit. I think it's a red herring. And I think the fact that it was quote unquote leaked is a bunch of malarkey. You know, as we know, he's a huge, he has huge investments in the fossil fuel industry. 
So he cannot explicitly vote against uh, green or environmental issues in the Build Back Better plan. I think what's disappointing is how the media has swallowed this hook, line, and and sinker. You know, in this way, the fossil fuel industry gets what it wants. It focuses the ire away from the environmental issues without raising further awareness of it. Yeah, um, I, t- I totally it, get it. And, and Chris, when you said, you know, the thing that was leaked at the very beginning, I'm assuming that what you were talking about was Joe Manchin's private comments to several correct. other Democratic lawmakers that he opposes the child tax credit right. because parents, young parents, will simply use that extra money to buy drugs. Right. I, you know, I think in, re- in response to that, Chris, what we should do is start a campaign to uh, radically increase the estate tax so that Joe Manchin's children don't use the money to buy drugs when he kicks off. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, or talk about the real reasons why uh, he's voting against the plan yeah. and thinking yeah. that. No, it's, 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 I think it's fairly obvious that it's, it's a combination of things. Number one, he's, he's repeating recycled and well-debunked libertarian right-wing billionaire you know talking points about about socialism essentially uh, number two you've got you know it's it's the biggest part of the climate deal and he makes a half a million bucks a year off his oil companies or his coal company excuse me and and his son is you know a multimillionaire from the coal company now as is mansion himself and then number three uh, you know, he's, he, I mean, he's, he's going after things like, you know, dental and hearing for Medicare, really? Well, you know, the, the big insurance companies want to make sure that their Medicare Advantage plans will always outcompete regular Medicare. And this is the principal battleground on which they've been fighting in the, in the media the last couple of years. And uh, so, you know, he, I, I think he's taken money from all of them. And, uh, but, but underneath it all, I, I made this point. Actually, I think I made it on Dino Badala's show yesterday rather than on my own. But, you know, Joe Manchin is a guy who was born to wealth. His father was wealthy. So he has literally never in his life had the experience that probably 90% of Americans have had, certainly 80% of Americans have had, knowing that this particular job that they have at, at any one particular moment in their life, if they lose that job, they may end up homeless or it could be a disaster for them and their families. I mean, this is part of the lived experience of much of the American middle class, and it has never, ever been part of Joe Manchin's lived experience or that of his children, who, who are also, you know, were literally born millionaires, multimillionaires, um, as was Manchin himself. And so he doesn't have the ability to empathize with people in that situation. And I think the people in West Virginia are starting to figure it out. And I, you know, uh, you look at how well Bernie did in West Virginia, it's just, you know, they keep saying, oh, yeah, it's an all red state. But, you know, they haven't had a seriously progressive candidate there since, Ber- you know, since Bernie in the primaries. And, and uh, you know, I think I think the West Virginia's time is coming. Chris, I got to move along. With, thank you for the call. Joe in Baltimore. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Hey, My Joe. name is Charles. I'm sorry. Oh, Charles. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, listen, I was wondering how come nobody seems to want to discuss the fact that the Republicans aren't voting for anything, and they're blaming the Democrats for not getting anything done because we've got two closet Republicans fighting against us. Yeah. And how come we can't get this plan passed? If we don't get the plan passed and the voting rights done, which is most important, we're going to be in serious trouble. I would like to see the media sticking microphones in Republicans' faces 
and asking questions like they're asking of Joe Manchin. I think it's just absurd that Manchin and Cinema get asked the question, you know, why why are you against children getting, you know, uh, uh, or families with children getting uh, uh, the, these tax benefits, or why are you opposed to seniors, um, you know, having hearing aids and 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 decent dental service, you know, having teeth. Why are they not asking those questions of Lindsey Graham? Why are they not asking those questions of Ted Cruz? Why are they not asking those questions of, of Jim Jordan and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Why are they not asking those questions of John Cornyn? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Why is the media giving the Republicans a complete pass on this when they should be in the face of every single Republican every time they walk by a camera or a microphone asking them that question and let them answer it? And, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, too. And that these questions never get asked of Republicans, which is obscene. It's absurd. I mean, this is you think that, you know, that ever since the Reagan administration, when when, um, uh, you know, they hold they started this whole thing of, oh, there's media bias. There's, you know, the media hates it. It's liberal bias. They hate conservatives. Ever since that lie started back in the 80s. The media has gone out of their way not to ever put conservatives on the spot or put Republicans on the spot. And damn it, it's high time. Why, you know, stop asking Joe Manchin these questions. We know what he has to say. I want to know what John Cornyn has to say about this. I want to know what Jody Ertz has to say about this. I want, you know, I want to, I want to know what Lisa Murkowski has to say about it. Let's put some of these Republicans and the ones who the caucus with them, like Lisa, let's put them on the spot. Charles, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for the call. Bruce in, in Hamburg, New Hampshire. Hey, Bruce, what's up? Hey, Tom, it's, it's Pembroke, New Hampshire. Hamburg. Uh, what's, what's up? So, I, I'm thinking that, uh, I don't know if the CNN has kind of riled me up or what's going on, but the it seems to be they're talking about a mass exodus of Democrats. I think there's uh, like, what, 26 or something like that who are not running for re-election yeah. at the federal level? Yeah. What is that all about? It, we sat through four years of Trump, and everything was, that's going to end Lindsey Graham. That's going to end so-and-so and but yep right back in the job the next day and and not even not even looking back yeah there's also there's at least a dozen republicans who aren't running for re-election and i i suspect that number will grow as we get closer to primary season i you know it's it's, i hope so it's it's if it bleeds it leads journalism you know it's it's cnn i saw the chiron here just a few minutes ago i so i know what you're talking about bruce no you know they did the story about democrats are leaving um, you know, this happens every two years. People decide not to run for re-election. Peter DeFazio here in Oregon, he's retiring. Peter's in his, in his 70s. You know, he's, he's, he's put in 30 years. He's, he's worked his butt off. Um, he's making way for a new generation. There's, there's some really good progressive candidates, you know, who are, you know, going to slug it out in the, in the primary here in Oregon. Um, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Well, that's, I feel better then, because they make it sound like it's just, you know, the, the sky is falling and Biden yeah. can't do a thing and the Democrats see it. Well, that's, that's the main narrative that the corporate media has right now. And, and you know, they've never, yes. they, which is so weird, during the four years of the Trump administration, all kinds of god-awful stuff was going on, and they never used that, oh, he's failing kind of narrative, even though he failed at everything he tried to do except his tax cut. I mean, he didn't build his exactly. wall. He didn't, he didn't give us... You know, uh, Obamacare better than Obamacare and cheaper. He didn't strengthen Social Security and Medicare. He didn't tax the rich like he said he was going to do. He didn't stop, you know, uh, the exporting of jobs overseas. In fact, he, get, he added 
to the bonus, to the tax bonus that companies get when they ship their factories to Mexico. His new Mexico agreement gives them, gives them a 50% tax deduction if they, if they explicitly move their, move their factories to Mexico. It was just a total sellout. The media never covered it. Yeah. Like, oh, he's failing. Oh, he's selling out. Oh, he's screwed up. They never covered it like that, which just makes me crazy. Bruce, thanks a lot for the call. Don't don't panic. Don't panic. There's, you know, we've got a year until the election. The primaries are going to be real interesting. The Republican Party is is being torn apart right now from within. Mark in Portland. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I think you made a really excellent point before about, uh, you know, why are reporters asking uh, Republicans? Why aren't they supporting the Buy Back Better bill? Uh, because that would be campaign commercials for the Democrats. Exactly. Uh, n- number one. And number two, what I'm wondering is, um, you know, what would Lyndon Johnson do? I mean, let's say that this was the Great Society bill that, that, that he got passed, but he was down. He couldn't get it passed because of one Democrat. I mean, what would Lyndon Johnson do in this respect? Because, you know, he was a pretty hard, you know, uh, he played hardball back in the day and in the Senate and uh, and he knows senators. And so I'm wondering, you know, what what advice would he give to Joe Biden? I'm not sure it would work anymore. I mean, you know, Lyndon Johnson famously took, uh, I think his name was William Miller. Uh, He was the chairman of the Federal Reserve um, in the White House, uh, got up off his debt, you know, when he asked Miller to lower interest rates because they were heading into the election in 68. And uh, and and Miller said, no, I'm not going to lower interest rates. I'm not going to help you out like that. I, you know, we shouldn't manipulate the economy. <laughs> LBJ gets out from behind his desk, walks around, grabs Miller by his the knot of his tie, walks him up to the wall, lifts him about an inch off the floor, <laughs> grabbed him by the neck, and says, "You will lower interest rates." And Miller said, "No, I won't." And Miller didn't do it, by the way. He leaked the story to the press, which is how we know about it. But that was what LBJ did. <laughs> And, and I don't think that, A, I don't think Biden can physically do that. Uh, B, I, I just, the times are very different. I don't think he should do that. So, Well, and I, and I understand uh, how Trump misused the Justice Department, um, but it seems to me that uh, Merrick Garland should, should keep in mind that, uh, you know, there are crimes being committed from senators. Maybe look at Manchin and look at Cinema and see if they are illicitly taking money. And even Elaine Chow, I mean, you know, books really put the pressure to... Uh, to there are five members of Trump's cabinet whose own department's inspector generals referred them for criminal prosecution to Bill Barr at the Department of Justice. Bill Barr refused to act on any of them. They should revive all five of those. Elaine Chow was one of them. You're absolutely right. Mark, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Wilbur Ross was another one. The guy, he was our commerce secretary, the billionaire Wilbur Ross. Forbes magazine called him a lifelong grifter. We'll be back. Marcos in San Bernardino. Hey, Marcos, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to KPFK. Yes. Thank you, Tom, for your history of neoliberalism. I was a college student in 74 in New York, and I met Chilean exiles, young guys who had been in concentration camps. Pinochet had kicked them out. He was either execute them or there was a call to uh, uh, have them free, so he kicked them out of the country. But my point was this. They were able to put uh, Salvador Allende into power in 1970, thanks to grassroots struggles. And now for the second time, they put in a, a Boric, 
mm-hmm. uh, also through the grassroots. But I, here in the United States, how do we get the Joe Schmoes and the Joanna Schmoes to move in that direction? Uh, it seems like that in our country, we worship the rich. Uh, we idolize them, and we can't even roll back the Republican long game to, to get back into the White House. Yeah. I know it's two different cultures, it's two different societies, but it was the working class that did those those uh, forward movements in that society. How do we do that here? We have to mobilize public opinion, Marcos. This is, you know, this is the thing that every revolutionary understands. Um, and, and frankly, the Pinochet, uh, although Pinochet actually didn't have most public opinion on his, on his side, but, but we have to mobilize public opinion in the United States. We are at a huge disadvantage. You've got 1,500 right-wing radio stations out there. There's a handful of progressive stations. You've got an entire television. You've got three television networks, right-wing television networks, not to mention Sinclair owning over 200 television stations, all promoting right-wing messages. You've got um, literally thousands of right-wing websites that pretend to be newspapers pump, you know, promoting right-wing stuff. Um, I mean, we're just awash in this. And then there, there are these few progressive voices out there. There's Free Speech TV, there's KPFK, and the rest of, much of the rest of Pacifica. Uh, you know, I, I realize some of it is in crisis. You've got community radio stations around the country. You've got some for-profit progressive stations. In particular, our, our biggest ones are in Minneapolis and Chicago, but there's others. Um, uh, you've got Sirius XM. Um, we, we have a YouTube channel, a Twitter channel, and a Facebook channel. All of those things are ways that we can, that I'm working to get the message out. And, and I'm not alone in this. There are other good progressives who are out there from Mike. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Malloy and Randy Rhodes, who've been my radio colleagues for 20 years now, to uh, to a whole new generation of people who are using largely Tom, YouTube. So, you know, we just have to Tom, promote these people, Marcos. If I could just reiterate, I'm a progressive, but I sometimes despair that our working class is inherently reactionary, inherently against, you know. I don't think they're inherently, really- Marcos. They've been indoctrinated to it. There was, you know, yeah. the working class was not reactionary prior to Reagan. They were yeah. gung-ho for their yeah. unions. They loved their unions. Right. 
Uh, the, this is this is this is a matter of of you know what Reagan successfully did was seized public opinion and convinced people that he could make things better. Um, he I, you know I remember that era very very well and and you know he 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 did it and then uh, on top of that the the right wing billionaires they they weren't quite billionaires then because you know, we still had high tax rates but the right wing billionaires built out a conservative media infrastructure with the Heritage Foundation and the Cato Institute and, and thank all you the, you very know, much yeah thank you, uh, thank you Marcos all these right wing think tanks and built out their media and then you got Fox News and now you've got you know uh, this whole radio network we have a progressive infrastructure it's it's much much smaller but we have to promote it we have to get the word out i realize that sounds self-serving but i think it's the only thing we can do Picking up your phone calls, Nicole in Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Nicole, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I just had a question for you. I would like to know why Joe Manchin cannot pass uh, the bill back better and then allow his state to opt out of it, much like uh, the Republicans did uh, with the expansion of the ACA under Obama. Because the uh, the bill, <sighs> how, how to explain this? Mansions, West Virginia can't opt out of the provisions of Build Back Better because they, they have to do with federal law in ways that are not generally administered by the states. I suppose that there are large chunks of federal money that West Virginia could choose not to take. Jim Justice, their, their Republican governor, could say, no, I'm going to turn that down. But he won't do it. I mean, Christy Nome, the, the governor of South Dakota, the Republican governor of South Dakota, just last week, gave a speech in which, you know, under the American Rescue Plan, South Dakota was just given a billion dollars. And she said, mm -hmm. you know, I really should send this back to Washington, this money back to Washington, D.C., because it does belong to the taxpayers, you know, which is the billionaire's talking point. Uh, she said, but I'm going to use it. And, you know, because, hey, she's a politician. She knows that it's going to it's going to benefit them. So it, it, it's just really no practical way to make that happen. Um, it's okay. it's kind of all or nothing. And also, conversely, I'm curious, is there a way to pass some sort of legislation to force the governors who opted out of the ACA expansion to actually give those benefits to the people in their state? It's a tough one. On the table. Yeah, it's a, t it's a tough one because of the Supreme Court ruling, you know, in, in the Obamacare case where John Roberts and, and it was, you know, a five to four decision, right wingers on the court ruled mm -hmm. that individual states could choose not to take the expansion of Medicare. I think that you'd almost have to pass a Medicare expansion, or excuse me, Medicaid. You would have to pass a Medicaid expansion at the federal level as a standalone piece of legislation would be my guess in order okay. to survive a Supreme Court challenge. Okay. So, well, thank you very much for answering my question. You're welcome. Thank you, Nicole. Nice to hear from you. Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Hey, Nicole. Hey, hey Joan, what's on your mind today? Well, I was just wondering about um, subliminal messaging, the messages that go through to people that they're not aware of. Right. And I had seen a program on TV talking about the, the governments or whatever using that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have thought that much about it. But about a few days before or a week before, I went through an experience 
watching a TV show in the evening where I got a mess. Well, all of a sudden I had to go out and buy something that I wanted to eat. Hmm. And nothing would stop me. I, as a matter of fact, it was stupid. It was a box of cornflakes. Okay. And so I had to get up out of my chair, leave my house, drive two or three miles to the store, and buy myself a box of cornflakes. And I got back home, and I thought to myself, I don't even like this. Why <laughs> am I doing this stupid thing? You know, and Joan... Then, uh, I'm sorry. A week later, I see this show, and I think, you know, who in the world was sending me a message right. to go buy a stupid box of corn? And I'm, I'm telling you, Tom, this is a true story, or I, I wouldn't be. I'm believing you, Joan. I'm believing you, but I, you know, in and, and you know, but you know, another thing I think that what it is is these young boys that are killing young boys in schools. Why, why are young boys doing that? Why aren't there young kids going into school and shooting the students? If it's not the fact that, and there was a young man on TV the other day that he said he couldn't stop hearing the message to go out yeah. and do something. That's mental illness, so Jones. That, Joan, thank you for the call. That is mental illness, when you hear voices in your head telling you to kill people, which uh, you know apparently happens from time to time. That is uh, you know, part of the... The schizoid, the, the schizophrenia part of that spectrum. But uh, I just uh, finished writing a book where I did a deep dive into this issue about subliminal advertising. There's an, there's an entire chapter, a chapter and a half, in The Hidden History of Big Brother, which is going to be out in a couple of weeks, my next book. And what I found when I did, because I, I was in advertising in the 70s, in the early 70s, when this stuff came out. You know, when Packard and Vance and these other guys were publishing these books about the hidden persuaders, for example. And it appears like there's not, not much there. The real hidden persuaders are the adjectives that we use in normal life. It's like, this is why Newt Gingrich came up with this list and said, whenever you use the word Democrat, always, you know, precede it with an adjective that modifies it. So it's like failed or pathetic or communist or, or whatever. And those, those actually are very effective ways, you know, the use, that's one of the, the, one of the better and more effective ways to use language. But um, not only is, does it not work, uh, you know, there have been efforts to criminalize subliminal advertising. They've been largely unsuccessful because in every congressional hearing that's ever been held on this, nobody's ever been able to demonstrate that it works. There are no studies, you know, solid studies that really prove it works. So, you know, you, you probably should be talking to your unconscious mind rather than your TV with regard to this. Thanks for the call. It's an interesting anything goes kind of question. Over on Daily Kos, there is an article titled, You Will Get Omicron, or Omicron, your choice. That's the bad news. This thing is more contagious than measles. You'll recall a couple of years ago, in fact, we, you know, it created a kind of a national hysteria around vaccine for vaccination for measles for elementary school kids. And this was when there was still this, this uh, debate about, you know, the impact of vaccines on autism and stuff like that. There was this kid who went through the San Francisco airport, as I recall, and like some hundreds of infections came uh, out as a result of that. Well, this Omicron very, uh, you know, just from walking through the airport, this Omicron vari variant is uh, apparently as or more contagious than measles. Measles is the most contagious virus 
known to man, yeah, at least virus that infects us in a way that makes us sick. Well, so that's kind of the bad news. This may be the good news, and we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks really to see, but this seems to be consistent with what we're seeing out of South Africa and what we're seeing out of England so far, or out of the United Kingdom. This is a research that was just published by the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, it is uh, not yet peer-reviewed, but it's published. And what they are noting is, number one, that the Omicron virus multiplies 70 times faster than the Delta variant, which might account for why it it's, comes on so quickly. It's so highly contagious. But here's the kicker. Here's the really fascinating part. Whereas the earlier viruses did a lot of their viral replicating in the lung tissue. And keep in mind, when a virus replicates, here's how it happens. The virus invades a cell, right? It, it attaches itself to the cell through its spike protein in this case. It injects into the cell its own RNA or DNA, depending on whether it's a DNA or RNA virus. That then takes over the, the cell itself, I believe it's the mitochondria, and causes the cell to convert its own tissue into new viruses. So the cell basically cannibalizes itself and starts taking its own cytoplasm and its own endoplasmic reticulum and its own nucleus and nucleolus and all that stuff, all of it, all the cellular material in there, and converts it into virus particles. And then finally, the cell is dead. All it's got left is just the, you know, the failing membrane around it. And it bursts open, and millions of virus particles spill out of it. One cell. That's how viral replication happens. When that cell dies and, and bursts and all those viruses come out, that's where you detect damage. It's also the area where this is happening is where you detect inflammation. So up to this point, the Omicron viruses have been principally doing that replication and damage to cells on lung tissue, which is why we have to intubate people, why we're giving people steroids to, to reduce the inflammation of the lung tissue, why they're proning people, flipping them over on their stomach so they can breathe more easily. There's all this, because all, it all had to do with lung tissue. Well, it appears, and keep in mind, this is real preliminary stuff. But it appears that the cells that Omicron loves to infect and damage are not the lung tissue cells. They are the bronchial cells, the, the bronchus, the, 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 the tube that goes, the whole system that basically goes from the end of your nose to the top of your lungs, particularly in your neck and above your neck. The principal first symptoms of an Omicron infection are not the cough and the pain in the chest, the first typical first symptoms are runny nose. And so if that's the case, because our nose and our bronchus and all that, 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 that area is, you know, covered with mucus, it's, it, it, which protects it. It's got very, very thick cellular structures as opposed to the lungs that are just tissue paper thin cellular structures. The, I think they're called avoli, the, the little, you know, uh, uh, balloons, these little tiny, they, they look like a cluster of grapes, you know, in the, in the lungs that we move air in and out of that expose the air to all those, all those capillaries to aerate our blood. Um, it's much more robust. 
which if this research that they just published yesterday proves true, would suggest that Omicron is much less likely to kill people. Now, we don't know. And as I said earlier, uh, you know, we just had our first death from Omicron. It was a guy down in Texas. So it appears, at least with people who are vaccinated, that because Omicron is going, apparently, easier on the lungs, they're less likely to die if they're vaccinated because you've got that protection that pushes you over the threshold. If you're not vaccinated, the Omicron is not going to stop in the bronchus. It's going to keep on going and it's going to end up in the lungs and it's going to take the person out because that's what this particular type of coronavirus, the SARS coronavirus does. It's what all its relatives do. It's what the MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome does. It's what SARS, the original, uh, the, or yeah, it's what the original SARS virus did uh, and, and, you know, that the, the came out of Hong Kong years ago, uh, decades ago. So, you know, there's no therefore in what I'm sh sharing with you. I'm just trying to keep you up to date on, the, on, on what I'm seeing about the latest science on this. If you want to see the links to it, they're in a diary over on Daily Kos titled, You Will Get Omicron. And I think it's fascinating. It's just absolutely fascinating. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Keith in Burlington, Washington. Hey, Keith, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, long-time hey. listener, first-time caller. Well, thank you, Keith. What's up? Um, talk about the COVID. Um, wow, um, kind of emotional. I'm listening. Yeah. Um, well, let's see if I can compose myself. About a month ago, my brother, let's see, he's 55. He ends up in the hospital up here in uh, Mount Vernon, Washington, full-blown COVID. So uh, he gets out two weeks later. So uh, then his co-worker, who I used to work with, he's in there now, and his father-in-law, mother-in-law. It's, it's nuts because they're anti-vaxxers. Oh, no. So you've got no, you've got four anti-vaxxers that you're close to who are uh, near death or ha have experiencing you know terrible terrible COVID. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, my brother got out about a week ago, and he's at home. Uh, Is he changing his oxygen? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Full-time oxygen. So. The scary thing is, his wife, she won't get vaccinated. She's an anti-vaxxer. Oh, my God. He's at home, and now it's affecting their um, their relationship. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he he did a one eighty. You know, he thought it was all BX, and so on Christmas Eve, my sister, her companion, are total anti-vaxxers. Plus, my older brother and his wife, total anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers, maskholes, as you put it, and I love that term. And my mom, 78, she got vaccinated twice. I've been vaccinated twice by the Pfizer, mm-hmm. and I'm not going, I ain't going over there. And yeah. uh, No, and you got to get your booster, Keith. Oh, I will in June. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it's due. But, oh, so you, just, uh, mom, so you just got your second shot. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, about a week ago. And my mom, she wants to go over there. She's 78, because she wants to see all the grandkids and everything. And I said, hey, just because you got vaccinated twice, and she's due for her booster, I right. think, in March. Right. Um, I said, you don't. You think that you're uh, immune from this stuff. Um, I think they're letting people get boosters in as little as three months. I may be wrong on that, but you should check, Keith. Okay. But I'm so sorry yeah, to hear crazy. that. Are, are you going to be able to negotiate a Zoom Christmas with everybody? Mm, I don't know. We're not really talking because the division in our family is just nuts. That's so sad. Keith, you know, my heart goes up. I leave, I leave this all feet of Donald Trump. I'm with you. I'm with you. Keith, uh, I, you know, I, I wish you the very best. I really do. And I, I'm so sorry to hear this story. Thank you for the call. And thanks for sharing it with everybody. It's an important story to share. Thank you, Keith. So how's it working out in your family? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Shut Down, How COVID Shook the World's Economy by Adam Tooze, T-O-O-Z-E. And this is from the introduction. If one word could sum up the experience of 2020, it would be disbelief. Between Xi Jinping's public acknowledgement of the coronavirus outbreak on January 20th, 2020, and Joseph Biden's inauguration as the 46th president of the United States, Precisely a year later, on January 20th, 2021, the world was shaken by a disease that in the space of 12 months killed more than 2.2 million people and rendered tens of millions severely ill. As of the end of April 2021, when this book went to press, the global death toll exceeded 3.2 million. The danger it posed disrupted the daily routines of virtually everyone on the planet, stopped much of public life, closed schools, separated families, interrupted travel within and between countries, and upended the world's economy. To contain the fallout, government support for households, businesses, and markets took on dimensions not seen outside wartime. It was not just by far the sharpest economic recession experienced since World War II. It was qualitatively unique. Never before had there been a collective decision, however haphazard and uneven, to shut down large parts of the world's economy. It was, as the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, put it, a crisis like no other. The virus was the trigger. But even before we knew what would hit us, there was every reason to think that 2020 might be tumultuous. The conflict between China and the United States was boiling up. A new Cold War was in the air. 
Global growth had slowed seriously in 2019. The IMF worried about the destabilizing effect that geopolitical tensions might have on a world economy piled high with debt. Economists cooked up new statistical indicators to track the uncertainty that was dogging investment. The data strongly suggested that the source of the trouble was in the White House. America's 45th president, Donald Trump, had succeeded in turning himself into an unhealthy global obsession. He was up for re-election in November and seemed bent on discrediting the electoral process, even if it yielded a win. Not for nothing, the slogan of the 2020 addiction edition excuse me, of the Munich Security Conference, the Davos for National Security Types, was Westlessness. Apart from the worries about Washington, the clock on the interminable Brexit negotiations was running out. Even more alarming for Europe as 2020 began was the prospect of a new refugee crisis. In the background lurked both the threat of a final grisly escalation in Syria's civil war and the chronic problem of underdevelopment. The only way to remedy that was to energize investment and growth in the global south. The flow of capital, however, was both unstable and unequal. At the end of 2019, half the lowest income borrowers in sub-Saharan Africa were already approaching debt distress. And more growth was not a panacea. It brought more environmental pressure. The year 2020 was set to be a decisive one in the politics of climate. The 26th UN Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, was scheduled to meet in Glasgow in November 2020, only days after the U.S. election. It would mark the fifth anniversary of the Paris Climate Agreement. If Trump was to win, which at the start of the year seemed a distinct possibility, the future of the planet would hang in the balance. The pervasive sense of risk and anxiety that hung around the world economy was a remarkable reversal. Not so long before the West's apparent triumph in the Cold War, the rise of market finance, the miracles of information technology, and the widening orbit of economic growth all together appeared to cement the capitalist economy as the all-conquering driver of modern history. In the 1990s, the answer to most political questions had seemed simple. It's the economy, stupid. As economic growth transformed the lives of billions, there was, Margaret Thatcher liked to say, no alternative. There was, that is, there was no alternative to an order based on privatization, light touch regulation, and the freedom of movement of capital and goods. As recently as 2005, Britain's centrist Prime Minister Tony Blair could declare that to argue about globalization made as much sense as arguing about whether autumn would follow summer. By 2020, both globalization and the seasons were very much in question. The economy had morphed from being the answer to being the question. The obvious retort to, it's the economy, stupid, was whose economy, or which economy, or even what's the economy? A series of deep crises beginning in Asia in the late 1990s and moving to the Atlantic financial system in 2008, the Eurozone in 2010, and global commodity producers in 2014 had shaken confidence in market economics. All those crises had been overcome, but by government spending and central bank intervention that drove a coach and horse through firmly held precepts about small government and independent centralized banks. And who benefited? Whereas profits were private, losses were socialized. The crises had been brought on by speculation. Yet the wealth of the global elite continued to expand. The book Shutdown, How COVID Shook the World's Economy, 
by Adam Tooze, T-O-O-Z-E. Denise in uh, Nolansville, Tennessee. Hey, Denise, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I wanted to get your opinion about why nobody has come up with a class action lawsuit to sue right-wing television like, like Fox News and stuff for all the corona death that's been happening because they've been huge people who have basically given misinformation. A lot of people have died because of their misinformation. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why some smart lawyer hasn't taken that cause up. I'm guessing that they would be crippled by the same thing that crippled the people who initially wanted to take on tobacco. I mean, for decades, and my dad was tied up in this stuff. He died of mesothelioma, which was, you know, early exposure to asbestos, but it was exacerbated by tobacco smoking. And it wasn't until they got a hold of the internal documents from the tobacco industry in the 90s that they were able to prove that the industry knew that their product was killing people and aggressively continued to pour money into promoting it. And that was kind of their downfall. You would have to prove in a court of law that Fox News institutionally knew this and was encouraging or at the very least continuing to pay their people who were promoting these ideas and that the people who were promoting the ideas knew that they were lying to people. And, and, and that's a fairly high bar to pass. That said, do you Denise... Think it's possible, it, it, do you think it's possible that there could be like whistleblowers at some point that could come forward and... I think and that's possible. And I think it's also possible that there may be a family out there who has a really solid case because, you know, Grandpa made this huge change in his life when he started watching Fox News, kind of like uh, Jen uh, Senko, who did the, you know brainwashing of my dad movie. So it, it's all possible. It's all very possible. Denise, I got to run. Thank you for the call. David in St. Paul. David, we have 30 seconds left. What's up? Hey, Tom, I just, this Joe Manchin thing in climate change, I don't understand the inflation versus supply and demand. There's no argument, I, I, not an argument, but if you have to rebuild our whole country because we're because of these climate disasters after weather events and all this, isn't that going to increase the prices of materials and everything as well? So if you have to build 200-mile swaths of cities that are destroyed by these events or the whole West Coast, isn't the price of goods going to go up? It is and it does. And you do see minor inflations every time there's a major disaster. You know, you saw it after Texas got hit with that freeze. It's a big topic and we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. There's all kinds of great opportunities to get involved and to jump in and participate with the Democratic Party during this holiday season. Take them. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.